Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and today I'm joined with Andrew McNair, who's an author and the founder of Swan Capital, a wealth management firm. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and thank you for joining today. I'm joined with Andrew McNair who is an author and founder of Swan Capital, a wealth management firm. Very excited for today's conversation because we dig into money, finances. Yes, certainly a hot button issue, um, not only today, but historically throughout the Bible, uh, we see a lot of moments of greed, of poverty, of giving, of saving, uh, of, of all of this good stuff. And so, as Andrew says, the Bible is not silent about it. Super excited for today. We dig into his book, The Giving Crisis, Helping Average Givers Become Everyday Philanthropists. And so philanthropy isn't something for those who are old and wealthy, but is for all of us. And so excited to jump into this podcast. But before I do so, if you like these podcasts, if you want to stay connected, also if you want some other guests on the podcast that we haven't featured or other content that would be valuable, Love to hear from you. And you can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter at theguyslikeus.com. Well, without further ado, here's my conversation with Andrew. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Yes, thank you. And you know, I, I um, the, the topic of you know a lot of what you've spent your life doing and uh, some of your you know your recent book work as well is certainly relevant. Um, and uh, you know, so I'll start by saying congratulations on your book, The Giving Crisis. Yeah, I've been so excited to launch it. You know, it's been a labor of love over two years of writing it. So the time is now. So I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It sounds like that's kind of the, the year and a half to two years is typically the the amount to you just kind of bake that. And I love it, you know, in love, certainly. Uh, I'm sure there was some some tiring moments, but nonetheless, seeing the fruit at the end of it. So um, all good stuff. So we'd love to hear just a bit more about your story to orient our listeners, to get them familiar with who you are and, you know, what your your background is with, obviously, as I introduced you, you know, wealth management, um, money, finance, kind of what how that was part of your story, background, how your faith yeah. came in the mix and yeah. kind of how that led to, you know, what you're doing now. Of course. Um, I started uh, my financial journey and my testimony begins, and it's a story of greed, really. Um, my parents were very wise enough to say, hey, we don't understand a lot about money. We grew up very comfortable, lower middle class, and they handed me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I fell in love with this idea that I could make money while I was sleeping. I was really excited because I I went to a private school, private Christian school, and all my friends were wealthy, uh, children of business owners. And I thought, I want to, you know, have those good things that they have. And so I started actually waiting tables at Denny's at 14 and interning at a financial firm after every day of school because I just was really thirsty for financial education. But this voice started to creep into my life that I'd never heard before. And it was always pushing me, make more, work harder, save more. And then I saw this FIRE movement, financially independent, retire early. And I got captivated by retiring by the age of 40. And so by the age of 16, I'd saved up $62,000. Not bad for a punk kid at uh, 16, right? 
And Absolutely. the waiting tables at $4 an hour had accumulated that. And I was very proud of where I was at 16. But then 2008 happened. And I was watching families' 401k statements at the financial firm lose half of their life savings. And I said, this is the perfect time to go from being a saver to an investor. So I took my hard-earned life savings of 62000 stuck it in the stock market. In a little over a year, it turned into $142,000. So here I am thinking, I'm Warren Buffett reincarnated. I have the Midas touch. And luckily, fortunately, UNH, the University of Hard Knocks, called in the tuition payment. And of course, it was $147,000. I ended up losing every single penny. And as I was screaming into my pillow and punching my mattress as hard as I could, I was literally tears in my eyes, mm. spiritually, morally, financially bankrupt because mm. I had tied my self-worth with my net worth. And that greedy mm. voice that was pushing me and egging me on had left me and moved on to the next victim. And I said, if I ever do this differently, if I ever build any kind of wealth, if I ever save anything again, I'll do it differently. One, I'll be more diversified, but two, I'll actually give it away. And so when I started my wealth management firm, when I started my hedge fund, mm. I dedicated my income of course, 10% to tithing, but as my company grew, I started giving 1% more, 10% more. And now today we've given most of um, my, uh, me and my wife's net worth away. And we challenge others like ourselves to give 50% or more of their income away. But it didn't start off that way. Of course, it started off with 10%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, fan fantastic. Um, and so this is, this is really, really powerful. And would love to hear just kind of what led into this book, The Giving Crisis, right? Um, you, you, I think oftentimes there, I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot that goes into this, but you know, giving is something that we can do once we have enough, right. Or once we've paid off all of our debt and I love, uh, dig into the book. There's a chapter in particular I want to look into, but just in general, there's this sense that, okay, we can give when we're in a place when we're financially sound, when we have all of our ducks in a row, right. Um, well, I mean, just look at culture. Culture is telling you that you, to be a philanthropist, you have to be old and rich. And we're trying to change that, huh. that actually an everyday philanthropist is someone that just gives a high percentage of their net worth and income away. Hmm. And what happened to me is my grandfather um, actually lost his wife of 67 years. I mean, he was a good and faithful servant. He provided for his wife for uh, 67 years. He was a great spiritual leader. And when my grandmother passed away, my mother was like, hey, he really needs some company. He hasn't been alone in 67 years. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, this is my good deed. I'll do my good deed. I'll go spend time with my grandfather, who at the time was, I wasn't as, as close with him. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a big age gap of 93 and, and 20. Um, and so I said, well, I'll go live with him. Hmm. And little did I know he didn't need me. I needed him. And when I showed up to see the yellow shower, yellow toilet, shag carpet from the seventies, when I was moving in with my bags, that year of spending with my grandfather was one of the best years because he taught me some life lessons. He lived through the great depression. And what he taught me was, is that during the great depression with 25% plus unemployment, they were more generous back then. Then we are with hmm. double income households with, wow. you know, uh, unemployment less than 5%. We are less generous today than we were back then. Hmm. So, so what's preventing us from being generous? Because, you know, I think you feel like, you know, with inflation, our money isn't going as far. You think that, you know, the cost of living, you know, wherever you are has gone up. Maybe this, the, in some sense, the things we deem as essentials, maybe, you know, actually aren't really essentials. What do you think has contributed to 
this sense that we, you know, we don't have a whole lot and we, we want to kind of hold on to what we have. Yeah, you're, you're touching on a few of those. Um, the, the first thing is, you're right, we've changed the definition of mandatory and discretionary. What we think is hmm. mandatory to provide for our family is truly discretionary. And I've heard all the excuses, but the facts are we hmm. now have 32% larger homes. We have double income households, inflation adjusted incomes. Typically inflations have grown six to 12% compared to inflation of three to 4%. So again, adjusted for inflation, we are less generous, hmm. yet we're the most prosperous generation in what we believe in all of human history. So yeah. there's yeah. really no reason why we shouldn't be generous. And I I believe it's because hmm. our expectations have grown faster than our earnings. Hmm. Hmm. No, that's good. And so I, I love, you know, looking into, you know, more of your background and obviously Swan Capital, you know, is a business and you operate like a business. That's what you are. But also you have a, you know, this faith lens and perspective and really trying to integrate your, your faith into what you do as well. And it comes out certainly in how you, you know, you've written this book. And so I think there's, you know, that, that, that's such a, I think that complements each other quite well. And so can you, you mentioned back when you're, you know, you were younger, you had a maybe misconstrued understanding of wealth, of retirement, of, you know, you said the word greed. I think that's comes up often in scripture. Can you just give us a little bit of, okay, what, what have you learned, you know, looking back, you know, 10, 10, 20 years ago, where do you see now kind of your understanding of wealth and maybe some, uh, some lessons for, for us here? Yeah, I would love to speak to that young man that I was back then, and he was a greedy. He and here's what the problem with greed and workaholism is: is it's the only addiction people applaud you all the way till you're in rehab, and that's the shame. Is people will say, "Look how great you are! You're providing for your family. You're working hard. You're pulling nine to fives. Now you're pulling ten hours. You're pulling twelve hour days." And again, if you're just doing it to build your own kingdom, if you're doing it to build your family's legacy, that's not what scripture mm -hmm. tells us. In mm -hmm. Ephesians 5, I believe it is, it says don't hang out with a greedy idolater. Don't mm -hmm. hang out with the sexually immoral. And so greedy is actually right next to the sexually immoral. And it's so wild mm -hmm. in Bible studies how we'll talk about addictions to pornography and adultery, mm -hmm. but we won't talk about money. And our testimony should be so polar opposite from culture. When people look at you and your, how you're managing your finances, how you're managing your business, they should be like scratching their heads saying, that doesn't make sense. How is he managing the Signet Hedge Fund and Swan Capital as a for-profit business, but he's using money to go get people? He's not using people to go get money. Hmm. And that is a testimony in the early mm -hmm. church manage their finances in a way that it made the Roman government curious. Hmm. Here's the Romans trying to tax the Christians, the Greeks, and trying to tax everyone in the Roman Empire. But mm -hmm. here's the early church actually sacrificially, without being taxed, giving all their money away. Wow. Wow. And I, I love that. I was just reading, actually, you know, just recently on the end of the book of James, right? This is the New Testament book of wisdom. And it most talks about like the material possessions you keep, right? Or in some sense, the greed that you store up actually is used in like to help create the fire that you'll burn in. And mm. that's like, it, I read that. I was like, wow, that's a, that's a stark warning for the power of how, you know, how you, right. As I'm looking at your book here, you can't serve two masters, right? Coming from Matthew right. six, six twenty four. 
I'll just well, read in the book, it. I talk yeah. about the refinery is take everything in your house, take your car, take your belongings. What's going to make it through those spiritual flames and on the other side of eternity will be there. And mm -hmm. it says we can store treasure up in heaven. People say, well, you can't take your treasure with you to the grave. That's true. But you can start putting treasure in heaven. And, mm -hmm. and that's reaching unreached people groups. That's going mm -hmm. to the least of these that Jesus called us, mm -hmm. the orphan, the, the sojourner, the widow. Mm -hmm. That's where we need to be taking our finances. And if you are a small business owner, if you are a sales professional, you should be using that income in a sacrificial way to help those least of mm -hmm. these. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's it. You know, you mentioned that wealth isn't the end goal. And I, I do think that's true. But can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think many times, I mean, that's the problem with the fire movement is I'll retire by 40. If I just have a million, if I have two million, I have five million. And the problem is, yeah. is I can tell you as someone that's super ambitious, I, I still suffer with the addiction of greed. It's not like mm. now I, I, I look at money and I never have temptations. No, just like someone that's an alcoholic, someone that has an addiction to a substance. Every time I look at it, I want to be ambitious again. Mm -hmm. But what I've done is reorient to say, what is true wealth? Where do I want my treasure to be? And I want it to be an eternal impact. Mm -hmm. And I want my kids' inheritance and my, uh, the inheritance I leave behind to be more of a faith inheritance, mm -hmm. not something financial. Hopefully, if I give them the wisdom, they can make their own finances. They can create their own financial freedom. But I want to take uh, the God-given abilities that I have, the talents, the resources, the time, and I want to devote those to the kingdom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think for listeners, right, if, you're, if you've gotten to that step, okay, I, I can get behind this. I see what you're saying. And then kind of nuts and bolts, right? It requires a little bit of discipline to actually, you know, establish a budget or to look at you know, the, the hard numbers of where you're spending, what, where you desire to give, to save. Do you have any recommendations in terms of how, okay, practically, nuts and bolts, how do we think about our budgeting? Perhaps that is more reflective of this, this life of generosity that I think you're, you're, you know, advancing. And I would agree with. Yeah, it's very controversial what I'm about to say. I am anti-budget. I truly do not hmm. like the word budget. Um, I believe it has to do with mindset. Here's the mindset of hmm. the average American. The average American spends 92% of their income on themselves. If they do invest for their future self and their family, they only do it at 6%. And if they give it all, which 95% of Christians are not tithing, but let's assume that the average American gives 2% of their income, they're still spending 92% of their income on themselves. So we have to radically change the mindset that says first fruits and where we give our money first shows our priority. And so if you're not tithing first out of your finances, if it's not coming the first out of the month, the first out of the year, then it's not a first fruit. So we have to do tithing first. Then we invest 20%. People say, well, maybe 10%, maybe 15%. The financial laws, just like there's physical laws that map out the universe, there's financial laws that you should be investing 20% of your income towards long-term investments. Every time someone talks about at the barbecue, talking about making more income or their investment hmm. returns, it's all symptoms of them not saving 20%. Then I encourage families to spend 70% in you know, make sure you squeeze out that 70%, utilize that 70% to have great experiences and mm -hmm. memory making live well, mm -hmm. but on 70%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
what do you find that some of the you know causes you know i think for some people that that yeah you said 70 percent looks more into i think what was it number you said 90 or 95 percent 92 percent 92 percent right so what are what are some of the areas you recommend all right you know that we can perhaps be cutting to so that we can still enjoy but still be able to to yeah perhaps live into that kind of uh that that breakdown there yeah, in my book, I talk about the the savings pyramid. Just like you know, when I was in school, it's probably outdated now. There was the food pyramid, right? And we just we're not taught in school like you you don't spend thirty two percent of your income on housing. I mean, just like you should not have ninety percent of your daily diet in bread. It's probably not good. You need some you need vegetables. You need some meat uh, in there. And the same thing right. with our finances is we need that financial education. And there's just a, a lack of financial literacy out there. And so one of the I think the most hmm. tangible things you should do is if you're making fifty thousand today, you're making a hundred thousand today. You need to start drawing lines in the sand with you and your spouse if you're married and saying, hey. After we make one hundred twenty thousand, that's it. We're not after our income starts increasing after one hundred twenty thousand. Every pay raise, every time our business makes that next step, we're going to take that increase, that five percent increase, that four percent increase, and we're going to split it. We're going to give two percent more to the kingdom. We're going to give two uh, percent more to our investments, mm -hmm. and we're going to start not just in enjoying that increase, but start uh, actually sowing that increase. And I think that's really wise. If you do that over time, mm -hmm, you can take mm -hmm. someone that has tithed 0% and right. tithed 10% very quickly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when you think about, right, I think that's great. When you think about the type of, you said on people groups or other ways to give generously, right? What are, what are some things that go into that thought process? You say, okay, well, here's, you know, we've allocated this, this amount, this percent, just as a start, right? How, what what has gone into your viewpoint, uh, or not viewpoint, rather into your orientation of how you then give that? Yeah, absolutely. I think you need to put a lot of thought into it. And this is the testimony. So many times we want to take our kids to church and we think, I hope my kids will, you know, find the gospel. I hope they'll hear from God today, at least on Sunday. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, live out your money testimony in front of your kids. Money should not be a taboo topic in the family. So many times I meet with people at my wealth management firm, hmm. meeting with families about the hedge fund, and they tell me, my parents never talked about money. I hope that's not your story to your kids. Hopefully you're showing them saying, hey, here's how we're allocating 10% to the local church because hmm. that's what God commanded us to do. And now me and your mother, or you know, what we've decided is we've actually increased our tithe by 1% every year. And that 1% is going to something we're passionate about. We are passionate. We want to be, mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. family is going to be the end of sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to start dedicating 1% more every year to being the end of that issue. Mm -hmm. And we're not only going to actually give our time, we're going to give our money, and we're also going to give our resources and all of our actions to be the end of that. And and of course, we want to not only be the end of that terrible injustice, we want to add the gospel in there so that people are not only getting food, they're getting spiritual food mm -hmm. along the way mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been an action-packed uh, 20 minutes or so, Andrew, and so would love just to, if there's anything else you'd like to share um, that you know on the book or just on you know, that will be relevant for this conversation. And then just to wrap things up where we can find you and get a hold of, uh, you know, uh, your journey. Yeah. Again, my, my style is probably pretty convicting. I would just say that anytime you get, uh, uncomfortable, you get mad, 
get curious. And that's usually because that's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. The Bible is not silent on money. And I would love for you to dig into mm-hmm. there. Let the Lord into that other room in your house, which um, many times people don't want to let him into that closet. And that's usually their finances. Um, you can find me a, a few places. Check out the book by going to Rich, Young, and Powerful. Uh, dot com slash book and you can get a copy of the book with some upgrades there also check out my youtube channel the everyday philanthropist where i answer questions about tithing and philanthropy Mm -hmm. Um, as well as check out my podcast the rich young powerful podcast where i actually interview philanthropists uh, and actually shine lights on their missions and ministries Mm -hmm. awesome fantastic well it was a pleasure to have you on and know this was impactful for our listeners and for myself as well so thank you andrew thank you so much anytime